Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Hannah May, and this is Flying Faith Talks, Biblical Counseling for the Creative Mind. Today's episode was recorded on March 24th. This is episode number 21, and today's episode is Dangerous Love. I'd like to start today's episode with a scripture reading because I feel this is really going to help set up the main issue that we're going to talk about for today. Uh, This passage is found in Luke 12 and starts on verse 13. It reads, Now someone from the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Watch out and guard yourselves from all greediness, because not even when someone has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told a parable to them, saying, The land of a rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he reasoned to himself, saying, What should I do? For I do not have anywhere I can gather in my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones and I will gather in there all my grain and possessions. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many possessions stored up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, celebrate. But God said to him, Fool, this night your life is demanded from you, and the things which you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who stores up treasure for himself and who is not rich toward God. Whenever that passage is read, lots of times the very bare bones opinion is that it is about greed and about valuing heavenly things over earthly things, which is very true. But something that sometimes we kind of miss if we're just focused on the greed side of this parable is that it's also a parable against idolatry. I mean, really really kind of think about it. This man, he cherishes his wealth to the point where he's going to greedily store it up for himself. He doesn't want to give it out. He doesn't want to sell it. He wants to keep it all to himself. And the concepts of what idolatry is and what it looks like is going to play a heavy hand in today's topic. Because today, I want to look at dangerous loves. Now, I think sometimes when someone hears the title dangerous love, they think of something like maybe the film Fatal Attraction you know, where you kind of get yourself involved with something that you just head over heels for, but then later down the road, that attraction turns out to be fatal. You know, it's going to hurt you or maybe in some cases even kill you. But what does that have to do with uh, biblical counseling for the creative mind? I mean, that's what this show is all about. It's about looking at creative problems for Christian creatives and understanding a biblical worldview of how to handle it and learning what the Bible has to say about it as well. So when we consider what does idolatry have to do with creativity? Well, here's something that I think some creatives like to ignore or like to deny or is afraid to confront. And that is the possibility of loving your project too much. And it's something that, I mean, honestly, when I was preparing for this episode, I was kind of scared to go through it myself because some projects, you know, they go pretty quickly. You know, it depends on what it is. Like, I know of some girls who can, like, uh, finger knit a chain bracelet within, I don't know, two minutes. (laughs) It's a pretty neat process to watch, too. But in other cases, like book writing, for example, 
or especially things like game development, that can take years or maybe even a whole decade. I mean, look at me. I spent eight years working on my first book. And so you're kind of in there for the long haul. And so that is a very long time to be focusing on it and putting your impressions on it, trying to make it better. You know, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of effort. And, you know, the best projects out there, you know, the ones that produce something that really has substance and really grips an audience, they always require passion. So we're not on this show. We're not going to be saying that it's bad if you are passionate about your project. You should be passionate about your project. Yet there's always a fine line between being passionate for a project and becoming obsessed with your project. And I have to admit that there were times when I think that even I slipped into it once in a while while I worked on Celestial. And I think every creative out there would have to admit at just at least one time you did probably get too into what you were making, right? I mean, let's all confess it. We've all done it. It's all happened. The dangerous part is, is sometimes we don't realize we went in too deep. And then when we start suspecting it, we don't want to suspect on it too long because we're afraid that we are going in too deep. To give a non-creative example, anyone who has spent any short period of time with me knows that I am a huge Lord of the Rings fan. I fell in love with it when I was like 16 years old reading the books, and I fell further in love with it with the films. But there was a point where I was so into the story, and I guess I talked about it so much that my parents in particular were very concerned. They were worried that it was starting to replace my love for the Lord and my reliance on the Word. Like, I was starting to rely on a fictional story world than I was on the Bible itself. And there were some confrontations, some conversations that had to happen, and I admit that they were pretty painful for me because they were right. I was too deep into it. I was becoming too fanatical with it. And that meant that I needed to let it go. I had to leave the books aside. I had to not keep thinking about it. I had to not talk about it. I needed to move into other subjects and other topics so I could like separate myself from that. And I can't tell you how painful it was because there are several memories that are connected with this story that really do deal personally with me. I mean, not simply me as a writer, because I, for one, get greatly inspired by a writer like Tolkien, and I want to try to um, meet up with his remarkable detail with his storytelling and with my storytelling. But beyond that, it really has a personal place for me because of the memories that I built with my grandfather before he died with these books. And if you guys are interested in seeing the full story on that, I have a blog on my website, flyingfaith.org, Uh, called Sunset Swings and Hobbits. So again, check out the blog on my website, flyingfaith.org, Sunset Swings and Hobbits, if you want to read the whole story. But long story short, even though that this book, this fictional trilogy, held a very important place in my heart, both as an encourager in my Christian faith, as well as in my personal life, it did not mean I had to use it or should have ever used it to replace the Lord. And realizing that and then taking steps to separate myself from that, it was painful. It was really hurtful. But you know what? It was a good thing I did because it was getting in between me and my relationship with the Lord. And so, you know, I, what happens here is I was falling into idolatry. 
And you know what? If we look at more uh, passages from the scriptures, like I'll read them real quick. Like here's this one first from Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and consuming insect destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor consuming insect destroy and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So right here we're hearing that there's a finiteness or a limitation to when your treasure, your heart, is something that is from planet Earth. Because everything from here has a limitation. Everything from here has an end. Okay, there's, yeah, you have money, but the next day you might lose it. You might have a career. You might lose it. You have a book series. Who knows? You might lose that too. Um, or maybe it won't even go anywhere. Or you have this amazing masterpiece of a song that you're going to bring to this recording studio. And then you realize that someone stole it or it gets rejected. Or even if you are successful, it's going to be successful for like two years and then give it five years later. There's like, oh, that's old hat. And then you're trying to chase after that popularity. And you see the merry-go-round? You see the... You see the futility in that? Anything from planet Earth that you set your heart on is eventually going to disappoint you as opposed to our God who's in heaven. And he should be the center of our happiness. Not that's to say we can't enjoy the things of this earth. I mean, God says we're free to enjoy the good blessings that he brings to us, including our projects. But when it becomes the centerpiece to our lives, that's when we set ourselves up for disappointment for depression, sadness, and we're going to see a lot more of this demonstrated later on in the episode, but, I mean, you see what I'm talking about here. And after all, again, that is still a form of idolatry, and we all know that if anyone spent any time in the scripture, which I'm pretty sure most of you listening have, Jesus does not like to be second in anyone's life. Anything that is putting him in second place is detestable to him. And in Mark 12, we find Jesus declaring when he is asked which commandment is the most important of all, Jesus answered, the most important is, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God from your whole heart and from your whole soul and from your whole mind and from your whole strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we have to come to recognize that if we love anything, including our dearly beloved magnum opuses in progress, then it is getting in the way and it is breaking the most important rule of any follower of Christ's life. You have allowed your heart and your soul to become divided, you know, like double-mindedness. You are kind of partly put your whole heart into something else. So, that becomes a danger and for all the reasons that we just talked about. So hopefully you guys aren't already like feeling the urge to shut off this podcast because it's just going to be too uncomfortable for you. Now, it is going to get uncomfortable for a lot of us. But here's something I want to encourage you with to kind of encourage you to stick with me here through this whole episode because not only is it important for you in your life, in your spiritual health, in even your physical health too, because this, this pervades everything. I want to encourage you that there is hope, okay? This episode is not about 
becoming miserable. This episode is about finding hope and lasting happiness in the Lord in your life. Okay? So even if this is going to start stinging, right? It's a good sting. Okay? So now we need to address the question, how can we tell for sure, for absolute certain, that we have fallen into dangerous love with our creative projects? Well, you know what? That is actually going to take us into today's main passage. And we're going to spend a while dissecting through this thing because it is also quite large. So instead of me just reading it straight through and then we're going to go back and backtrack through it, we're just going to take it one step at a time side by side together. So I'm going to give you a second. And I would like you, if you have your Bible, to turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 21, please. What we're going to find there is a wonderful example for love going dangerously out of control, followed by the response for how to handle a love gone dangerously out of control. Are you there yet? You found it? Great. So what I'm going to read up front here will be verses 1 through 8, because this is where we're going to find a classic, excellent, prime example of a dangerous love. So this is starting in verse 1. Then Satan stood against Israel and urged David to count Israel. So David said to Joab and to the commanders of the nation, Go, count Israel from Beersheba to Dan, and bring a report to me that I might know their number. But Joab said, May Yahweh add to the people a hundred times what they are. Are they not, O my lord the king, all of them the king's servants? Why does my lord seek this? Why would he bring guilt to Israel? But the word of the king prevailed over Joab. Then he went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. And Joab gave the number of the enrollment of the people to David. And it happened that all Israel was one million one hundred thousand men drawing a sword. And in Judah were 470,000 men drawing a sword. But he did not count Levi and Benjamin among them, for the Lord of the king was repulsive to Joab. But this word was displeasing in the eyes of God, and he struck Israel. So some of us might be a little confused as to why counting the men of Israel was such a big deal back then for Joab to be as distressed as he was. In fact, distressed to the point where he didn't even give David, King David, the original count. If we backtracked to prior books, I think as far back as maybe Deuteronomy, there was a point when God reminded Israel that he was to be the one on whom they relied on. He was to be the one that they were to look to. And I will even add in that I believe it is Deuteronomy where Jesus, which we just read a minute ago, when it was declared that the most important commandment was to love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, strength. You know, the entire list there. No idolatry. You're supposed to rely on him. (laughs) Case closed. Well, what happened here is we have King David, who is in a good position. You know, he is a strong leader. He has a healthy kingdom. God has been blessing them. It's literally the golden age of Israel at this point in their history. What happens here is David decides that he wants to find out exactly how many men he has that are able-bodied, you know, capable of becoming an army. Well, usually most people look at that and think, hey, that's just being responsible. You know, you just want to be sure you know what kind of forces you have in case you get attacked, you know, for defense. But here's the problem, though. 
again, Israel is a very special case among all the nations of the world. It's not that God loved the other nations less, but God had consecrated the Israelites unto himself because it was through Israel that he was planning to facilitate his worship as well as bring about the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to save all mankind. But what we have here in this special country of Israel, you know, the same one that's supposed to be God's people, the same one that's supposed to be facilitating his worship among the nations, which they never did, right? We see their leader counting their defenses as if he was going to be counting on them to run their borders. I mean, how insulting is it to say to a man who literally is the head of your security to say, yeah, your security is good, but I'm going to try to throw in some of these peewee tin soldiers and kind of set them in the middle of your cavalry. Would that be okay? <laughs> no, it wouldn't be okay. It's insulting. I mean, like you're going you're gonna to try to offer up your tinker toys in replacement for a fully fledged 100% foolproof system. It's like, that makes no sense. But here we have David, God's chosen leader for Israel at this time, who is to represent him in government and practice, deciding to not rely on God and count the fighting men. You can definitely argue that he loved his country. We know he loved his country. You can definitely argue that he cared about his army. Yes, he did care about his army. And these are good things to care about. But he loved them so much, or he even loved his power so much, that he just wanted to know exactly how many. So right here, we have our first sign of a love gone dangerously wrong. It's when your reliance on God has been traded. You know, do you rely on your project or doing your project to determine your happy times? Like, I think many creatives will admit that they look forward to that moment when they get to apply their craft. They look forward to any sort of amount of time they get to doing this. And that's good. That's fine. But when it's like such an important thing to you that if anything whatsoever, regardless of their importance, gets in the way, like puts you out for the rest of the day, you become grumpy and irritable because someone dared get in the way of your time to craft your jewelry or to make your book. It demonstrates an over-reliance and that over-reliance is leading you to idolize that time. Just the same as David's over-reliance on his army forced him to idolize his own sense of security. So that would be like one of the most crucial, most obvious signs. But then there are other signs to this as well. And we saw them already through this um, passage in particular. Go ahead and skim back through. You notice that the main couple of players that we have here is David and Joab. Okay, now Joab and David, they have a relationship. They've been working together for a long time. Joab is like one of his chief generals, his top warriors in his army. And David puts a lot of trust in Joab. I mean, he even trusts him enough to do this whole counting thing. But look at what's happened here. Joab has great respect for David, but you can kind of tell in their exchange that the relationship is starting to break down a bit, isn't it? Joab realizes and recognizes that David is going off the deep end with this, that what he's requesting is something that's going to offend God. And he even tries to warn David, you know, it's like, why would you do this? Why, why would you bring guilt on Israel? So there's another sign for us right there. When your passions run too wild, there is always a breakdown in your relationships. There is outward turmoil. 
And I can say this from personal experience, and I think that if you take the time to think about any period of time when you've had trouble with this, you could probably see it too. Or maybe if you're unsure if your passion project is driving your life too much, then you probably, if you look around and you notice that there's some relationships in your life that aren't going so well, that might be a sign that you might be in too deep. I mean, it's not always intrinsically linked, but just just think about the ways how this happens sometimes. Like, honey, why isn't the meal fixed? Oh, I'm working on my book. You'd said that the last 50 times for the past several nights. I haven't had a hot meal. It's like, this is important. I need to finish. You see the breakdown there, right? Or, hey, we're concerned about you. It's like every time we try to talk with you, you're always like not here. I don't I don't know if you really notice what's going on around you anymore like no I do it's fine I was just thinking about this thing and let's say that this same conversation happens over and over again and then you miss out on what people are saying what people are doing what they are thinking and you're always asking what could you repeat that again because you were too busy thinking about the project again now it's okay if this happens like every once in a while but if there's like a consistency of it you know it acts like a a malaise like a leech sucking out one drop of blood at a time from your relationship and that previous example, I can tell you I, that has happened in my personal life several times where I needed to realize that, you know what, my sisters, they were right. I wasn't paying attention enough. I was too focused on everything else that I was personally invested in to invest in them. And it was breaking down my relationship with them. My younger sister, she was starting to feel a little depressed, like she doesn't see me anymore. And my older sister, whom I usually, our personalities are quite different who we tend to clash quite a bit and then we kind of have suspicions with each other. And part of it was because we don't talk enough or we don't interact enough. And so I had to learn that (laughs) my passion, my overpassion, my dangerous love for what I was doing and making was getting in the way of my relationship with her. So I had to learn to pull back. So again, that that is another another sign, a second sign that maybe you're too deep in your passions outward turmoil, outward breakdown, things are not working well. And you know what? That in turn leads to one of the most important things, your internal misery. Let me repeat that again. Your internal misery is another sign of dangerous love occurring in your life, which is ironic because when we talk about love, usually everyone likes to associate it to the butterfly happy feelings that you get for something or someone like Oh, I love them so much I could die. You know, it's that sort of thing. So you usually don't think of love as something that is going to cause you misery. Because once it does cause you misery, is it love anymore? I mean, again, that we're talking about the world's classification of what love is. I'm not talking about God's classification of love. But I think you understand what I mean, right? When you become too engrossed in loving your passion project, then anything involving that passion project can quickly and will eventually lead to misery. Like in my personal example, because I can't really speak for other people for how they become miserable because everyone's different. Like there were times, especially in my life, where I was starting to feel miserable even while I loved my project because I was too worried in my perfectionism. I was afraid of failing. I was afraid of not making the characters good. I was afraid of my story being cheesy or sounding cheesy at the very least. I was worried about my writing style, you know, and it's it's ironic because I loved it. But at the same time, it was causing me to be constantly upset and stressed. 
in on the inside. I wouldn't show it on the outside, but on the inside, I would be stressed. And, you know, again, that was a sign that I was getting too dangerously deep. <laughs> it's like it was becoming my everything. And when it becomes my everything, then when it breaks down, it's eventually going to completely break down on you. And even though that David isn't outwardly showing it at the moment, in just a matter of seconds, you're going to see here in the continuing passage that David, he is also miserable. So let's look at those three signs again one more time. Let's just walk through them. Idolatry, when you start relying on something other than God for your happiness or for your sense of security. Outward turmoil, where your relationships are breaking down. And internal turmoil where you find that you're just not joyous anymore. You're not enjoying life, your relationship with Christ. It's you feel dead. You just literally feel dead. These are three ways to discover that you've fallen in love with something ahead of the Lord. You are not loving him wholly with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You have given it to something else. And even expanded outside of projects. That can be said even for the best things in life, like your spouse. You can love your spouse too much. You are supposed to love your spouse. It's good to love your spouse. Same with your children. You can absolutely adore your children, and you should love your children. Those are all good things. But once taken to an extreme, any good thing can become a toxic thing. We need to recognize that danger whenever we find that Something has replaced God's center seat in our heart. And if you find yourself in that position right now as we are going through this episode, let me give you some more comfort, though. You are not alone. Everyone has done it. Because if nobody at any point in their life had never put God's center in their heart before, then you would have had no need for salvation in the first place. So take comfort knowing that you are not alone in the struggle. I've had it, your friend has had it, your mom and dad have had it, everyone's had it. But of course, now we need to understand the road forward. When we do fall into those dangerous loves, and if you honestly don't think you ever have, trust me, you will, we need to know the road forward. How do we move forward? How do we get past this dangerous love of ours? How do we let it go? Because really, that's the main thing that has to happen from there. We have to let it go, right? So what do we do? Well, let's return back to the passages that I, we were reading together in First Chronicles. And we're going to be starting now with the first major important step for anyone when you have fallen into dangerous love with something other than God. And we're going to be starting on First Chronicles 21. And just we're going to read one single verse, one very simple single verse. Verse 8. Then David said to God, I have sinned severely in that I have done this thing. But now please forgive the sin of your servant, for I have been very foolish. Now, I don't know about you, but this first step is as clear as day. Repentance. Admitting and confessing to the Lord that you have indeed put something ahead of him. And it's honestly the only step that will make any of the other steps even possible. Because when there is no repentance, then there's no sense of need of forgiveness, right? There isn't even a sense of need of change. In an even larger scope sense, this is exactly why it's important that God is not only a forgiving God, but he's also a righteous God and will severely judge all sin on the earth. 
Because if there was no wrath, if there was no judgment from the Lord, then there would be no reason for there to be any grace whatsoever. Without God's wrath, there'd also be no mercy, no repentance, no change. And you remember one of those three points that we talked about earlier of signs of when you're loving something too passionately, being idolatry, relying on something that isn't God, inner turmoil, and outer turmoil. Repentance immediately addresses the inner turmoil, right? I think we all have to admit that there were times when we felt so horribly guilty for something wrong that we did to someone else that it was so relieving to at the very least confess to that person that we committed that sin against them. There is a sense of release in that. And there's an even bigger sense of release when we are forgiven for by the person we harmed. And we all know God's nature at this point from the word, right? He is very forgiving. He's very merciful. So your first step, if you've loved your project too much, the immediate response should be repentance. Not just being sorry, just actually being repentant and saying to the Lord, Lord, I am put this before you, ahead of you. I shouldn't have. Please forgive me and teach me the way forward. It is the first and most important step to recover from a dangerous love. And David did that very thing in verse 8. And even verse 13, which allow me to read real quick. Then David said to the prophet Gad, I am very troubled. Let me fall into the hand of Yahweh, for his compassion is very great. Just do not let me fall into the hand of a man. David recognized God's compassion, even in the midst of his punishment, as the Lord, as we read earlier, was striking Israel for him and his dangerous passions. Now, of course, things don't stop at just repentance. Repentance is the kicker for everything, but it's not the only step for everything to change. And to see the rest, I'm going to recommend we jump down to verse 17. And for your sake, I'm going to quickly summarize the section that we kind of passed over. What happened is God gives David a choice of three different punishments that he would inflict Israel with for David's sin. And David chose a plague rather than a sword and a famine. So right now, thousands and thousands and thousands of Israelites are dying right and left to a plague out of judgment for David's actions. So here we are on verse 17. And it reads, Then David said to God, Was it not I who gave a command to count the people? Now I am he who has sinned, and I have certainly done wickedness. But these sheep, what have they done? O Yahweh my God, please let your hand be against me and against the house of my father. But against your people, let there be no plague. So you remember earlier we talked about there's a breakdown in your internal life when you have a dangerous passion. We also pointed out that there is an outward breakdown, an outward turmoil when you indulge in your dangerous passions. It affects everyone. Don't ever think that just because your sin is your sin means that no one else is going to get affected by it. Sin has this nasty habit and nasty way of affecting everything. If you want the best example, just go back to the Garden of Eden. What happened there? Adam disobeyed the Lord. Eve disobeyed the Lord. That one little sin was enough to cause damage to absolutely everything in creation. Sin infects, it corrupts, it hurts everyone, especially when it's coming from someone who's supposed to be a leader. Adam was supposed to be the steward of planet Earth, so his sin wrecked 
all physical life. David, he was supposed to lead Israel, so his sin wrecked all of Israel. But now look how David is moving forward. He is beseeching the Lord to make a restitution. It's not simple enough just to say you repent. There has to also be restitution. Why? Because wrongdoing is costly. We see this demonstrated in scripture all over the place. We see this occurring in real life all over the place. Forgiveness is great and it can come for free. But to be cleared, in order for everything to be absolutely right again, there has to be a price paid. That can be time, that can be money, that can be resources. Whatever it is, restitution always requires you to give up something. All because you consider whatever you lost for your wrongdoing worth buying back. So here we have David seeking restitution with the Lord, declaring that it was his sin that is now affecting everyone. And he wants to see God offer restitution. What must he do? So here we're going to continue on chapter 18. We're going to go for a little ways, I think all the way down to 28 perhaps. Uh, So just bear with me. Now, the angel of Yahweh had spoken to Gad, and Gad is the prophet who is declaring God's messages to David at this time, to say to David that David should go up to erect an altar for Yahweh on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So David went up at the word of Gad that he had spoken in the name of Yahweh. Now, Ornan was threshing wheat, and Ornan turned and saw the angel. This is the angel of death that was killing everyone, by the way. I mean, they were literally seeing the angel killing everyone. And his four sons, that is Ornan's four sons, with him hid themselves. You know, most people's reaction to an angelic being, of course. It's pretty terrifying in many respects. Then David came to Ornan, and Ornan looked and saw David. So now he's noticing King David. And he, that is Ornan, went out from the threshing floor, and they bowed down to David, faces to the ground. Then David said to Ornan, Please give me the place, the threshing floor, that I might build an altar on it to Yahweh. At full price, please give it to me, that the plague against the people might be stopped. And Ornan said to David, Take it to yourself. Let my lord the king do what is good in his eyes. See, I give the cattle for the burnt offerings and threshing sledges for the wood and wheat for the grain offering. I give it all. So this man's being really generous here. And because I'm telling you that Not only is he giving him the property, he wants to give him all the cattle for the burnt offerings and all the threshing sledges that he owns. He's willing to let David break it down for wood and even gives him his wheat for a grain offering. He's just going to give him everything. But then David said to Ornan, no, for I will certainly buy it at full value. Indeed, I will not take what is yours for Yahweh and offer burnt offerings for nothing. So David gave to Ornan six hundred shekels of gold by weight for the place then david built an altar there to yahweh and he offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and he called to yahweh and he answered him that is god answered david with fire from heaven upon the altar of burnt offering then yahweh commanded the angel and the angel returned his sword to its sheath so here david just about had an out there you know he was prepared to do everything that he could to offer up restitution to the Lord in the form of burnt offerings and peace offerings. And I need to remind you that back then, cattle, you know, the amount that would have been needed to do a burnt sacrifice 
is expensive. It's super expensive. And you'd be amazed how many people you can feed on one cow. But here's this man. He offered him just about everything. And I think that there is sometimes, like, if we were in that same situation, we probably would have taken up that offer, wouldn't we? It's like, oh, I don't actually have to slaughter my prized herd of cattle. I don't actually have to pay, like, 60 shekels of gold, which would probably amount to, I don't know, maybe you three thousand dollars today or more i don't know i'm not i'm not great with money but here's a guy who's just going to give me everything i need and i don't have to pay a cent you know how many of us probably would have taken him up on that so we could just get this restitution over with right i know that talking in terms of cattle is probably going to feel really foreign to us modern people today but david's refusal of that generous offer so he can be sure that he's paying full price for this burnt offering really tells you the genuineness of his heart to make it up to not only God but to the people he's hurt because to offer up all that pricey meat and pricey land to the Lord on someone else's generosity would have almost been like you asking someone that you had a huge blowout with out to dinner you're offering to pay but instead of taking them someplace real nice where the food is really expensive but really worth their price you decided to take them to McDonald's and take advantage of the one dollar menu certainly shows them how sincere you are about making things up, right? And there's also something to be said about the specificness of the sacrifices that David is giving here. David is not just simply offering burnt offerings. He's also offering peace offerings. And if you haven't spent time studying Leviticus, you really should. I highly recommend it. In fact, I highly recommend that if you guys are interested in an in-depth study of Leviticus, that's going to make your mind just go with, the amazingness of God and how he was willing to abide and interact with Israel. I really highly recommend you look into my to my church's website. My church is called Providence Bible Fellowship, and our pastor has been walking us through an in-depth study of Leviticus for the past several months. It's pretty amazing, and they have recorded videos on the website, and they have also got a podcast channel where you can listen to an audio of these sermons and it's all completely free so I highly recommend it but to kind of summarize the importance of the peace offering and the burnt offering which our pastor and I think he's right in this rightly called the burnt offering the ascension offering the ascension offering was something to say I belong for you and I belong to you and the peace offering is a declaration of I want fellowship with you and so David with the cost of who knows how much cattle And how much money in today's terms paid it all because he desired to be reconnected with the Lord and to make it right with the people. So when your dangerous loves has caused damage to those around you, it's not simple enough just to repent and to declare to the Lord that you want to change. You need to show that change outside to those around you. Repair it. Even in the New Testament, when we take communion, what does the Bible say? The Bible recommends that as a Christian, if there is a problem between you and your fellow Christian, something that is causing harm in your relationship, and you come to bring an offering before the Lord, leave that offering, go to your brother, make amends with him, then come back. Because it's that important to the Lord that you make it up with others. Because you know why? They are created in God's image. Being created in God's image means that we are to represent God in this life. And that is true for any human being. We are all created in God's image. We're not all saved, but we're all in his image. We all bear his image. So to do harm to another human being 
who bears God's image is a direct insult to God. So it matters to God whether or not you make amends with someone you've hurt. And guys, I know this show is focused on creatives, but you guys see how expansive this is to just life in general. You know, when your project has led you to hurt someone else, whether in major or subtle ways, it matters to the Lord that you hurt that person. And it matters to him not only that you make amends with him, but that you also make amends with those around you. And you're sincere about it. Because repentance and restitution leads to the last step, reconnection. So return with me once again back into First Chronicles for the final part. So Yahweh heard David, and he sent down a fire to consume the burnt and peace offerings. God has heard David's plea. He saw what David did to show to the Lord and to the nation of Israel that, yes, he had sinned, and yes, he had done wrong. And now he seeks forgiveness from the Lord, both for their behalf and his own behalf. And now the Lord not only accepted the sacrifices, accepting David as belonging to him and willingly coming into a restored relationship with him, he's ordered the angel who is destroying Israel to put the sword away. Now we finish in verse 29 through 30 and going into the first verse of chapter 22. Now the tabernacle of Yahweh that Moses had made in the desert and the altar of burnt offering were at that time at the high place of Gibeon. But David was not able to go before it to seek God, for he was afraid on account of the sword of the angel of Yahweh. Then David said, This will be the house of Yahweh God and this altar of burnt offering for Israel. I know it's easy to miss by just simply reading this, but if you put it in the context of the entire Bible and the exact location that David is standing, this spot where David's dangerous love, his dangerous passion, cost Israel lives, it cost him misery, it cost him relationships, had been granted the chance of repentance, the chance of restitution and reconnection with the Lord, this spot would become the Temple Mount, where Solomon would famously build the Temple of Yahweh. So instead of death for sin sweeping throughout Jerusalem, God's very presence, life itself, would return to the city. Ladies and gentlemen, we may not be necessarily talking about nationwide or citywide catastrophes due to our personal sins or our dangerous loves, but the scale of something doesn't negate the truth of something. When we idolize, we fall into internal and outward messes. But when we put God back on the throne in the seat of our hearts, life returns to our fellowship with him and our fellowship with others. Repenting, giving restitution, they're both painful. But the reconnection has to be worth it. Now, if you find right now that you have, in fact, taken your creative project and made it more important than it should be. It's painful to do the right thing. It's painful distancing yourself from a project you dearly love and placed at the center of your heart. But once that misery sets in, and it will, ask yourself, is it worth denying God his rightful seat? Are you going to continue questioning his sincere sufficiency? He, the very one who gave you this gift that you now treat as greater than the giver? Or shall you repent and brush aside artificial happiness for lasting happiness? Honestly, guys, 
it is better to live closely with him and never create again than to release masterpiece after masterpiece and yet be dead inside because you are divorced from love himself. Now, letting go will sting for a time. Still, as Paul said in Romans, it's a pain not worth comparing to the reward you'd have with him. And who knows, maybe after you let go of a project that just had become too large in your heart to keep God in it, then maybe after some time maturing in him and walking closer with him, maybe God will return that beloved project back to you. You never know. Of course, there's the possibility that God won't return it to you. But still, either way, the outcome of denying our dangerous loves is an unshakable joy from intimacy with a good, unshakable, one true love, God. And to close, it's good to remember that God promised to give us more of himself when we seek him, along with compensation worth a hundredfold for whatever we give up or lose. As it is said in Mark 10, verses 23 through 30, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it is for those who possess wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astounded at his words. But Jesus answered and said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. And they, the disciples, were very astounded, saying to one another, And who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With human beings, it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields on account of me and on account of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times as much now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields together with persecutions. See, Christ is the giver of good things. Projects can give good things, but only for time and only with so much. But Christ is endless. He loves you. He gave his life for you. He will most certainly take care of you, and he knows everything you need to be happy. May we always put our happiness first and foremost in him, before anyone and anything. Thanks again for joining me here on Flying Faith Talks. And hey, if you really like this podcast and you'd like to learn more about me or the website, subscribe to flyingfaith.org and follow Flying Faith on Facebook, MeWe, Instagram, and Pinterest. And hey, subscribers receive exclusive content like updates on the website, updates on my book, sneak peeks, chances for prizes, and the opportunity to connect with me. Anyway, that's all for today. Thanks, guys, and come back soon.